This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. Had the federal government handle it in a way that sent the message that this was necessary, that it was Mm -hmm. needed for public health, that we all need to be following the same protocols, I think that school, in-person school, could be done in a safe-ish way. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. We're excited to have you all here yet again with us during the start of IWL's holiday season. It's pumpkin spice and everything nice, y'all. Ooh, pumpkin spice season is upon us. People talk about spooky season. Not on this podcast. Pumpkin spice season. So for real, for real. And in fact, we uh, listeners, we want to like tease you a little bit because we will be doing an episode centering, featuring the one and only pumpkin spice. So stay tuned for that. So our essential question for the day is how can you, through the trauma that is 2020, navigate figuring out what you can and can't control and find the strength and persistence to change the things you can? First of all, I feel like that's a prayer, kind of like reminds me of, you know, uh, yes, exactly. (laughs) Also, I'm really sad there's no pumpkin spice in that question. I know, right? It's super off brand for us. (laughs) Yeah. Although maybe the segue is that many people find pumpkin spice traumatic. So maybe that's the segue. That is the segue. I think you just made the connection. So we want to give a preface for this Um, conversation that we are about to have. So we want to just say, this is where we are at, right? Like, I I think that it's important for us. There's so much going on that is 2020. The start of the school year has been really challenging for many, many people. And we don't want to diminish or minimize how educators are feeling personally Mm -hmm. and professionally. Um, I think that acknowledging that everybody is just trying to figure out how to show up the best that they can in the best way that they can. And for some people that is, you know, day to day, lesson to lesson, minute to minute. Sometimes I know I had, um, in the last couple of days, I went from going day to day to going like minute to minute in my lesson (laughs) tech issues. Right. And so we don't want to diminish that, but I also think that we want to have a conversation where it's like, this is where we're at. So what are we going to do? Right. Like what can Mm -hmm. we do? What can we control? What can't we control? And how are we maybe navigating those feelings around that? Yeah. I mean, for all of our educator nerds, if you've ever done the protocol, what, (laughs) so what now, what, you know, that's kind of the framing for today. And I say that laughingly because like everything is such a disaster that I feel like if I can't (laughs) laugh periodically at how horrible, it's like, you know, we, we talk about like how students will like laugh at inappropriate times, right. When something like tragic you're being, you're reading and you're like, don't do that, you know, but then you realize like, that's also part of like the awkwardness that happens. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a coping Um, mechanism for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so as we, I guess, let's pick up, we talked a couple episodes more directly about how we thought the school year would turn out, some predictions. Um, I think right after we recorded, both of our situations completely changed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was wondering if we could maybe start with that, kind of recapping um, where you are at currently in the status of your school year. Um, How's that looking? What's it shaping up to look like? Yeah, so we at Tacoma Public Schools are still um, completely virtual. So I've been teaching um, 100% remote. We have a set schedule. Um, So we are in a place where Mondays and Thursdays, I am teaching first, second, and third period of 100-minute classes. And then Tuesdays and Fridays are fourth, fifth, sixth, 100-minute classes. And then Wednesdays are being counted as like office hours, but there's a lot of ambiguity around what that means. So I have been doing the full remote learning thing. Yeah. How are you feeling about that 100 hours? Do you know if there's any um, reason why that was the number picked? I know there's lots of um, different models across the country and internationally as well. Mm -hmm. I think that it has a lot to do with what is being required of us of, um, class minutes, instructional minutes by the state. And I think that that was how Tacoma Public Schools interpreted what those required minutes are. There, that's as best I can understand it, is that the district is trying to meet the required instructional minutes that the state has laid out. I know that a lot of districts have interpreted that very differently though. I also know that people have really big feelings about the 100 minutes right? That there's a lot of feelings that the the amount of instructional time in a day for students is significant. Um, and so well, that's a change up from 55 minute periods, right? Very as part much. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. But and you're I, only seeing them twice a week. So the theory probably is like, oh, the total time is like comparable to what you'd be in person. But I guess do you want to kind of highlight why that's so dramatically different and feels so different? I think it's part yeah. of it. I mean, some listeners obviously understand that, but. Yeah, I think so. The, I, I also know that Tacoma Public Schools was trying to create a schedule that was going to be um, the easiest transition if we were to go back yeah. to hybrid. So we have the same schedule virtually as we would have hybrid. So doing block schedules. And there are some schools that do block schedules now and they have being full in person, but the, there there is a significant shift in planning a 55 minute lesson to a 100 minute lesson, right? So it's almost twice as much time with the students and the flow of instruction is completely different. And so teachers at my school, right, are not only trying to figure out how to teach virtually, but they are now having to become block teachers, right, block schedule Mm -hmm. teachers, which is a significant shift in how you think about how you're going to structure the flow of your lesson. And you can't just like tack on your two (laughs) lessons that you did last year and like just smash them together. It's like the same, isn't it? Come on, Megan. Why don't you just be more effective and efficient? Oh my gosh. (laughs) It is absolutely not the same. And I think that this is where like people that aren't in education don't realize the there is actual like data-driven moves that you make in the classroom when you're when you're creating and structuring a lesson, right? That there are literally cognitive data-driven decisions that a teacher makes 
of how the brain learns. And so when you have been teaching and structuring lessons that are 55 minutes, you're keeping in mind, okay, this is how um, my students are going to be engaging with the content in 55 minutes. When you double that time, it's, yeah, it's not just you just put two lessons together and there you go, right? It's, it is a significant shift in um, what you are cognitively asking your students to do in the time that you are with them. And, mm-hmm. um, and then when you, so teachers, and I can speak just for myself. So I'm trying to figure out what does a hundred minute lesson look like, but then right. also in real time, having to realize a 100 minute virtual lesson is not like a 100 minute lesson in person because everything takes so much longer yeah. virtually. Everything takes longer. And so I am planning what I think to be a 100 minute lesson. And then I'm in the moment teaching it and realizing, oh my gosh, this thing that I thought was going to take five to 10 minutes is taking 15 to 20. Yeah, and, totally. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know. It, it, it is, I, yeah, I'm like, go ahead and write this journal prompt. And I, I always set a timer, like in real life, I do this, but also like in my virtual real life, um, I'll set a timer, like five minutes. And I'm just stand, sitting there like staring or standing there uh-huh. from a standing desk, staring at that, like gruesome five minutes. And I was like, or grueling is the right word, not gruesome. Wow, my words are on point today. Um, this is just the beginning. Are that you, grueling five it, minutes, you're like, were you wrong? Oh my Lord. <laughs> also that, yeah. And it's like, oh my Lord, this is too much time. But actually, like no it's not because that's how much a 16 year old mind takes the process they're thinking about the question they're writing the thing they're putting the answer and you can't rush you can't rush that as well or you shouldn't rush that rush that right so like gauging pacing is so crazy in this space because like for you it's like one second and for them it's brutal they're like they're trying to like if they're working you know they are trying really hard to like use that time and do what you ask them to do and so if you're like rushing oh man yeah that's totally different um other things you feel that are different I mean, everything. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I just, I think that the way that um, students are engaging with me, the way they're engaging with each other has been really challenging. My classroom has always been really rooted in discourse and dialogue. And that's been a really challenging shift for me to um, move to. And that also deals with pacing, right? So when I am asking students to have a conversation or to talk through their ideas and thoughts Um, when engaging with the content. It's just everything takes longer, right? So finding the mute button. um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Unmuting yourself. Unmuting yourself. Where'd that go? Where'd that go? I've been doing this since March. Why can I not find it? Yes. And it's just, and then you're as the teacher, I like, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, okay, so either they're, they're not there and so I'm calling on them and it's just like, I'm talking into the void or <laughs> two, they're trying to figure it out and they're having tech problems yeah. or three, they don't know how to figure it out. And I don't know if you have seen these videos on, well, I think I've talked about teacher TikTok so much on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, TikTok is strange, but, <laughs> but teacher TikTok, the videos of teachers where like they're, it's like being in a virtual classroom. It's almost like you're in a seance. Yeah, I love that one. They have like the cameras around their computers and they're like, Jonathan, 
Jonathan, are you there? Yeah. Are you with us? Give us a sign you're with us, Jonathan. Yeah. And it does. It feels like I'm in a seance where it's like, okay, so I'm calling on you. And I don't know if you're trying to figure out how to unmute. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're having tech problems. I don't know if you're just not at the computer. It's <clears throat> a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. And when you do that every single time you call on a student, that also compounds of the amount of time. So a conversation that generally would take 10 minutes in my classroom is now taking 20 minutes in a virtual space. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like those, you know, just really small, insignificant changes into my instruction. (laughs) Yeah, insignificant. Yeah. Sarcasm font. Uh, There's this one TikTok that I saw where like this, it was the student side of that where like the student gets called on and it's like, oh yeah, and like had been writing and they're like scrambling to get to the computer, but because they took so long, the teacher's like, all right, moving on. And they're like, no, (laughs) like that one time they had an idea that they had done or whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's such a different, I mean, I think I'm trying to think back to our conversation in August, you know, some of the things we predicted around safety and concern and scheduling, like a lot of us didn't know what we were teaching, I think in different schools, Mm -hmm. um, because, um, administrators and leadership were trying to like sort through that stuff. One of the things I would say that's quite different from, um, my experience here in the spring, we had modified scheduling based on what we saw internationally, which was like, once a week synchronous learning with kids. And so we, we made our schedule where essentially kids had only a, a couple of classes each day and they had um, like kind of a, not a, a three hour block roughly with you for that whole week. And so that whole week, you know, you plan for the first hour would be a lot of like asynchronous work, which basically they did in their own time, like could be for me, it was independent reading and like pre-search and some journal prompts and some things with that and then we met for about an hour um you could meet up to like an hour and a half some teachers I know did that but most of us we met about an hour 45 minutes you know more direct instruction collaboration sharing whatever 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 and then the last hour was for kids to like do finish their work for English class and that was once a week and so the planning for that was a bit tough at the beginning because you're like okay I need to think about this represents an entire week's of instruction but we also because of all the research coming around um student screen fatigue and hello trauma from COVID nobody understanding what the hell is going on in the world uh personal trauma family trauma all kinds of craziness you know that seemed like the best model and I at first it was like what is this but I really think that model and that pacing yeah everything took longer but it really um it made us more sustainable. We end up being for 15 weeks. Right. And so our current model is totally different. We're doing more of the um, block scheduling that you are, we're talking about, except the funny thing is we've um, had, let's see this week, we're now on our fourth iteration of it because um, things just keep changing. And so, you know, government leadership and local leadership are finding are, are feeling like there's different ways that we can do things. Right. And so we have to modify that. And part of that is we, we moved from a, um, a block scheduling kind of AB style for those people that know, sorry, all the teacher, like teacher talk of that. So one set of classes, like you mentioned, one through four on one day and then five through eight the next day, that AB. So we had started the year with the AABB. So the idea was that since we're sharing our building with the middle school um, that on the days we're remote with our kids, they're in, in person and vice versa. And it was supposed to be like really fluid and like lots of ways to capitalize on instructional time and so on. Um, but because things are unknown and changing, we we basically were virtual or remote all the way up until last week. And so last week we got permission um, and slash encouragement to um, phase in in-person teaching. 
Mm-hmm. And so I have some strong feelings about in-person teaching, um, but it's interesting hearing, like particularly hearing conversations in the States where some schools went straight in-person teaching and we all know what happened because they made it on the news, about the spread of COVID because part of their in-person teaching did not include precautions, right? Like they were like, oh, wear some masks. But you see these pictures of just like, I think we talked about that last time, like just people in the hallways yeah. pushing teachers, some people staying home. So teachers having to like, buy their own version of zoom and like these, you know, lady Gaga headsets, <laughs> like the video camera that they're spending money on, but they only get $250 like for their tech. Refund off. Like, school supplies. What? Right. So I feel like in the U S I mean, maybe I'm simplifying it, but there was like, there was either the folks that were like, screw it. We're just going to go. Yeah. COVID fall where they may. <laughs> and then the other half of schools were like, now let's go remote, which I think, you know, in Washington state, a lot of the school, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think through the district stuff that I've read recently, but a lot of the schools opted to do remote because that was seemed like the safest um, yeah. and best way. I mean, so how do you, how do you feel like, what do you, what are your thoughts now on that? Would you have wished that you had started in person? Do you feel like you should be going back tomorrow? Are you like stay remote until there's a vaccine? Um, just your personal opinions, obviously not representative of anybody else's. <laughs> Gosh. So I am somebody that wants to be very cautious in the rollout of being in person. I, I don't think that we are at a a place where um, we should be going back right now. I think that, and that has a lot, like that has a lot to do with the way that the federal government has handled um, the feelings around COVID. Right. So if we had handled it, where the community collective took it more seriously and took the precautions more seriously and that there was buy-in for Mm -hmm. following the protocols that were necessary in order to do it safely. I think I might feel differently, but the federal government has handled it in such a way. And to be very clear, I think the Trump administration has handled it in such a way that has made it really dangerous and unsafe for teachers because teachers, I don't think it's the job of teachers and admin to try and sway public opinion about safety protocols, right? That's not my job as a teacher to try and convince a family or a student that it's important to wear a mask. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe that that's my place, especially when it's such a politicalized, it's a political statement now. Somehow wearing yeah. masks has become political. So I don't think that that's my job to then have an argument with a family about why it's necessary for your kid to wear a mask in my classroom. I don't think that on it. And honestly, I don't think that's an administrator's job either. I think that there has a climate in this country has been created where it has become a contentious and at times dangerous conversation to have with people. And because of that, no, I don't think that we should be going back into schools. Had the federal government handled it in a way that sent the message that this was necessary, that it was Mm -hmm. needed for public health, that we all need to be following the same protocols. I think that school in-person school could be done in a safe way ish way, right? I just don't trust public policy right now in order to protect teachers and admin to be able to enforce the right thing in order to keep teachers and kids safe. So because of that, I don't think that in-person is a viable option. And I also want to acknowledge that my students are 
struggling. They that and struggling like that they want to be in person. I have at least twice every day. I have students asking me when they think we're going to be going back in person. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's a really hard position to put teachers right because teachers are the ones that are like having to field those questions. Yeah. And many teachers, at least that I know, don't believe that we're in a place where we can go back, but I don't want to send that message to my students. Like I want to be in solidarity with them that like, yeah, I want to be in person with you. I want to be, you know, I wish that we were in the building. I wish that it was different. Right. And it just, it's hard to navigate those conversations, validating those feelings, but also knowing in like my own personal opinion that I don't think that that's the right decision. So Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) I also am kind of thinking about, um, no, it's good. It's, I also think about like, I recently, and I shared this with you in prep for tonight, like, uh, recently I had a video shared with me of these two doctors who were talking about, you know, how the highest need communities uh-huh. need to be going back to school. And we've heard, I mean, we've heard this before, I think in the last couple of months in the summer, there was some of that conversation on various, you know, blogs and so on. And part of the conversation was, well, if, you know, wealthy kids and private schools and charter schools can make it work, then, and those students, for lack of a better way of saying it, will be fine without public education, then what about our highest needs community? And on the one hand, I'm like, sure. On the other hand, I can't help but think, where were you this whole time caring or giving a ras booty, as I've said on the show before, about these communities before? You never seemed to really care that much um, in terms of making policy changes to make the infrastructure of public schooling different so that high needs communities wouldn't rely on the school for food, for health care, for, 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 for whatever film blank. And so I have a hard time hearing that. I also think it's kind of funny because in this particular clip that I was listening to, they're doctors and they never once mentioned like, medical things, right? They were like policy and I'm like, okay, so what as doctors would you say are the conditions in which these kids need to come back in? You know, where is your policy hot take based on your medical profession, right? And your medical expertise. And that was a huge issue. So I'm curious what you kind of think um, about that kind of narrative and how do we fight that knowing that, right? Some of our most vulnerable students need to be in our community schools right at the same time how do we balance the health and safety of the staff of the kids of course kids first of their families right and a lot of them who live with older elderly folks or you know we think about systemic racism and systemic health issues that are in these communities um what's kind of your take on that i think that it's irresponsible i think that it's really irresponsible for doctors to come in and talk about one to, yeah, like you said, to all of a sudden have an opinion about low income or underserved community schools. Like you've never showed much care or thought before this. You've never lobbied for or advocated for policy changes in order to make sure that the school system serves um, changes so that, you know, uh, like underserved and disadvantaged communities have better education and better access to better education. But also it to me is so frustrating because there's a lack of conversation around the fact that this virus is disproportionately impacting low income people of color and why that is. And the reason why that is, is because of systemic racism. It is because the lack of access to affordable health care to low income people of color has been so poor in this country that 
<clears throat> there are persistent health issues that exist that make this virus more dangerous for these communities. It is because of redlining and the communities mm-hmm. and neighborhoods that people of color have been able to live in have put them at a much higher risk for respiratory illness, which we know the right. virus targets. It's and and honestly, I I bring up Fauci and he Fauci has no problem. He mentioned that, yes, systemic racism is a contributing factor to why people of color are dying at a disproportionate rate of this virus. And so doctors that are saying all of this about low-income schools and schools of predominantly students of color needing to go back because they are being disproportionately affected by the education, it's like, I ask, well, what if they like contract the virus and die. Is that not like concerning to you versus what if they contract it, bring it home to their families and all of a sudden they're disproportionately being impacted by all of this. I I just, I think it's really irresponsible, especially for doctors who understand the virus to be saying all of this without the acknowledgement that those communities, low-income communities are just at a significantly higher risk of this virus for a mm-hmm. myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and thinking about the policies in place, right? It's like, like you were saying earlier, it's both a, a, a commitment, like a political commitment, and then it's a financial commitment. So I think, you know, there's disproportionate burden that happens on districts and particular schools to then carry that like, like practical burden, right? So who's going to pay for the sanitary wipes that you have to like use to wipe down the tables every single day? Who's going to pay for the teacher that now needs to be hired because you actually have to have smaller class sizes because you can only have X number of kids in a room, right? Who's going to go through and double check these things? Who are the custodians that are going to then clean up after this time in what increments and pay for that, right? Because those people, they're also like on the front lines, so to speak, if you're using those metaphors, like they're out there cleaning, they need to protect themselves and also like protect the community, right? It's all part of the routines. Like, and there's one thing, you know, in our school in the last month and a half, I've seen those changes is to try to make it a safe place for people to come in. Like we have, like, here's a very practical thing. We have one-way arrows all around the campus indicating which direction you're allowed to go at a given time to create pathways and exits and entrances. We have, um, for the start of our role in with in-person schooling this last week, we have four designated doorways where different, you know, grade levels have to come in and be temperature checked by teachers in PPE, basically, like our teacher PPE, and and document that and track that, right? And everyone's signing with a badge. We know who showed up and whatever. We have these contract tracing protocols in our classroom that are set up. So like I have to, I can't, there's no, no vision of like changing your seating chart when you like want to mix it up. Like, no, you're in that seat until who knows when, like that is now your seat. Right. And so like every single, like I have a list of who's in that same seat, this period, this period, this period, this period. Right. Cause I have to be able to document that. And I, if someone asks me if someone gets sick or someone tests positive or whatever. Right. And then, I mean, even speaking of that, one of our, our main foundational protocols is everyone was tested. And everyone keeps getting tested. So like in the U.S., you know, this like, oh, just put on a mask and some shield and have some sanitation wipes. Like, like what? Like what? (laughs) That's not actually protocols for preventing the spread of the virus. Right. So like 
you have to have, you know, like I think I mentioned the last time, right? We had all of our faucets change out to be touchless, right? We've had, you know, just lots of these different things to be implemented so it can be a safe space for students to learn. And let me tell you, it is not what you expect when you come back. So like, I think there's also this um, nostalgia, you know, that happens mm-hmm. where teachers are like, I hate, because people hate remote learning so much, right? Or having such a challenging time. And there's lots of reasons why, right? District technology can suck booty. Like there's just extra, like the learning curve so steep. And you said all these extra demands, yeah. but I think there's also like um, a romanticizing of the old days of last spring in February, pre-COVID, in the pre-COVID era, where you're like, everybody talked to each other and collaboration was so good. No, it wasn't. You walked around your room and kids were talking about whatever over there and whatever, lunch over there, and you only had three groups actually doing the work. So let's not pretend you're everything was perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Or like um, just all these things that people like envision about the old days, like kids could get up and gallery walk or whatever. Like really, um, and so one of the things like, in COVID era with safety measures in place, you can't be near kids. Like I am two feet away, or no, sorry, two meters, not two feet, six feet, two meters. So two meters away from kids at any given point, which basically means I have one pathway in the front of my classroom I'm allowed to walk down. You know how weird it is? It's like, you're just like patrol and patrol down the other side, (laughs) patrol back down the other side. It's like, what? And like, and I barely know the kids. I mean, I know the kids a month, but like, you don't know all the ins and outs. Mm -hmm. So, right. You're making the seating chart that's going to be there for the next year. And you're like, hoping you got all the kids who have eye issues up front Mm -hmm. and you're hoping that you didn't put somebody in the back who needs you to stand next to them when, because of, you know, focus issues or whatever you want to say, like, you're just hoping that you didn't, because you can't get back there because there's no space to get back there. And you're not allowed to be within the small space of that, you know, I think, and I think a while, right. This is bizarre. This romanticizing of what in-person instruction will look like or could look like going back, right? You know what I mean? It's not going to be that. It's not going to be the things that you're talking about. It's not possible, right? Yeah. And when every kid, the other thing is like when every kid walks in, I'm wearing a mask and a shield. I have to wear a a face shield, okay, over that. Again, even though I get tested every two weeks and the kids have all been tested before coming campus, I stand at the door with um, a huge thing of wipes that's like the size of, I don't even know what, it's like, you know, those Costco size industrial like sanitation wipes. Mm -hmm. And every kid has to pull one out, go to their desk, wipe their desk down. They're not allowed to get out from their desk and you have to walk around with this special trash can with a special lid on it to like get their wipes. Okay. Like that's just even before class starts. See, I hear this and I'm like, there's no way that schools in yeah. the states are doing this. There's yeah, no, no of course not. That, there's no way yeah. that that will happen when we go back. There, it's just not yeah. going to happen. I, and that's what yeah. I think is also really yeah. terrifying for me yeah. is like, I am hearing all these precautions that your school has put into place. And I'm like, I can't envision a public yeah. school in the United well, States part- doing that. Well, and this is part of leadership, right? So we talk about who makes those decisions and here it is, it's nationwide decisions. Yes, of course, there's like state, you know, different regulations and local, you know, governing yeah. bodies, but, and so those vary from like state to state, just like in the U.S. does, but um yeah, it's the leadership saying, here's what, you know, medical professionals say, and here's how we're going to try this out. And we're not allowed to have classes bigger than 15, right? And if you have a class bigger than 15, we have these special dividers that you're supposed to have to separate your two classes because it's supposed to help I guess there's some research around the spread. I don't know about all that, but like, right. So we have these curtains in our big rooms, which is wild because then you're like, you're teaching like two rooms. Like you're like, hi, 10 kids over here. And then you're like, Hey, over here, I'm repeating my directions, yelling at you through this mask. Cause like nobody could hear me on either side. 
Um, have you gotten a Brit? You might get. Are you just going to get a Brit? No, I'm going to. Yeah, we got these um, new uh, <laughs> AirPods with microphones that we're supposed to try. But I, I kind of feel like they're so understated. Like I really, I want that like in and out microphone or like yeah, the Britney mic. No, I want you to have like a full headset, yeah. pop star level mic that you can wear so you can feel like you are on a stage I think so yeah fabulous <laughs> yeah and then I can just like touch it periodically yeah. like hey 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 like into my hand like hey, hey, hey. Hey. yeah exactly because that would actually bring back the joy to the classroom yes. speaking so of joy fantastic segue for us right so I think that we've been talking a lot about the things that we can't control right like we can't control the district restart plans like I can't control schedules and I like I can't control the district regulated tech for the most part or district attitudes towards teachers right like we've been have like living in it and I think that so many teachers are living in that that we yeah. can't control so this is a really great time for us to maybe take a break. Um, and then when we come back, I think that we should focus more on the things that like, what can we control, right? Like what can we um, as teachers control in our classroom and in our worlds? Perfect. Hi, Hope. Hi, Annie. You know how all these giant global companies are basically lawless now and are trying to overpower our democracy to protect their profit margins? Yes. And how it's basically impossible to opt out of the late capitalist system we've created. Sis, you don't have to tell me. Well, listen, I found a first step. TAPCO Credit Union, Pierce County's original credit union. Really? Tell me more. Well, credit union means they're not-for-profit financial cooperative, and they exist to enrich their members, not some big bank shareholders somewhere out of state. And they are Pierce County's credit union, dedicated to serving the local community, just like Channel 253. Ooh, that's pretty interesting. Well, what about their services? I mean, I can't live without mobile banking. Am I right? Right, right. So now you don't have to choose between important services and your ethics because TAPCO offers mobile banking, access to a nationwide ATM network, plus lower fees and better rates than a lot of the big guys. Ooh, I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed with that. TAPCO's a local choice. To learn more about keeping your money local, visit tapcocu.org. Thank you, TAPCO, for your support of this podcast and Channel 253. back so lots of things we cannot control which lead to lots of stress and I think from you know at some point we should definitely hit at like how are you managing your stress with this stuff that we can't control um particularly you know as people go into education we go into help we go into change lives we go into because we're control freaks I mean haha but also true right and so we go in with these moments like yeah we manage that um side note if you saw I felt so seen when you said that (laughs) If, by the way, if you, I had a realization this week, if you thought that schools already replicated prison to school to prison pipelines, and you know that like colonial, imperial, whatever aerial you want to throw here, systems are in place in schooling um, across the world, but particularly in American public schools, I'll speak to that more narrowly. Mm-hmm. Yo, it is way worse. Mm-hmm. COVID era. I'm like, am I like in a military, like, I'm like, but you have to be right. And so I mean, I think I traded, you know, the, the fight about cell phones back home <laughs> to like, now here I'm like, don't touch the thing, do the thing, <laughs> do the thing. And like, you're kind of laughing. And I just look at the kids and I'm like, y'all, this is wild, but 
here, put some hand sanitizer on because I don't know what else to do right now. <laughs> like it is so right. And so like that, con- that contrast, I don't think people realize how much, um, I mean, there's some chatter about it, but I don't know the extent that people realize yeah. that it's so. That would be a fascinating thing to just unpack in a whole episode just about yeah. that. Like you're like, stop walking down the hallway with your friend that you haven't seen for six months. <laughs> Move away from each other. That's not 1.5 meters. One, one way hallways or in our case, it's like one way on one side of the hallway. And then the yeah. other, which isn't yeah. six feet apart, by the way, just pointing that out. Anyway, <laughs> you can go back and retrofit all these buildings. Yeah. <laughs> you know what we can control though? I'm reminded of a good idea I had way ages ago. And I think I left behind at Lincoln. I used to have one of those amplifier, like blow horns. You know what? You should go pull that thing back out. If you're going to go in person again and just be like, go down the hallway and just like start saying it in weird ways because bring some joy. Have you seen those mics that you can get on Amazon and it's like they're gold or whatever. And it's, they, you can like change your voice, you can play music and it's like an amplified microphone. And it's, I've seen so many mm. teachers even before COVID hit that would buy it and had it in their classrooms. And it was predominantly like elementary school teachers. But I think that there is a space for it now for high schools. And I think it's like only $20 on Amazon to oh, get this good. microphone that is just like <laughs> perfect. Yeah. I think that if yeah. and when we go back, I'll have to get that yeah, I always wanted the auto-tune fun. one because I thought that'd be really funny. Yes. Like auto-tune reading the directions. You will take out your pencils or whatever. Like I can't even right. do a good auto-tune And if I had voice, like but... the Britney mic and that and like the, oh. the auto-tune and it just like yes. it could just create so much um, joy and fun in the classroom, at least for me. Like I, yeah. the amount of eye rolls that I would get just would bring Perfect. so much joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to your point of like, what do you, what do we control? Right. And so in our virtual classrooms, we are controlling our instruction, right? We can control the way that we try to create space for kids. I think last time you brought up a lot about just helping your, you were wanting to walk into this year, helping to see kids, make them feel seen. I mean, do you feel like you've been doing that? Is that still the center of your work or are you focused on something else now? What do you think? 100% still trying to make my students feel seen. Um, something that I started to do in the like two weeks ago is that I say hello, I say their name, I say hello to them and every single one when they join my class. So they go into the lobby and I have now, instead of just um, group um, allowing them in, I click on their name and allow them in and say good morning or hello or happy Monday. And I say their name. And so every single one of my students gets an individual greeting when they enter my classroom. And I have seen a significant change. Hmm. And I did not think that it would be a significant change, but I have so seen a significant change in engagement. Once hmm. I started doing that, um, I've seen and, and like, I think that that's the other thing. I I know that this is so challenging and hard, but I think that I've been trying to find the silver linings of this. And I think that in some ways, virtual classes have allowed me to see more students in different ways than being in person. Because when you're in person, you're so focused on um, like behavioral issues and and you're thinking about a million other things. And with virtual, I am able to just, not just, but to focus on content. And I use Nearpod every single lesson. And I cannot say enough amazing things about Nearpod. 
because it allows me to give all of my students individual opportunity yeah. to put their thoughts down. Right. And mm-hmm. so they have open-ended questions where I can see that you can give quizzes in middle of it and you can see where each of your students are at in their understanding, which then also allows me to, as they're submitting their answers, see where certain students are at and then ask them to elaborate on it to the class. Right. So mm-hmm. can you explain, can you unmute and explain to the class what your thinking was? Mm-hmm. And I never would have been able to check in with all of my students understanding the way that I am virtually when I'm in the classroom and they're writing in their notebooks. So it's really, it's moments when they're writing in their notebooks. I'm now asking them to do in the Nearpod so I can see it. Yeah. Never was able to go and read every single one of my students um, thought process around these prompts but I can't yeah. now because it's virtual, right? And so yeah. I'm able to check in with students that maybe are struggling. And then at the end, a Nearpod, you can get a, like they have reports. That yeah, I love that. Nearpod. And so there's a summary and you can see the percentage of engagement and interaction with the Nearpod. So now I go back and I go through all of my classes and I see the students that struggled to fully participate in the Nearpod. And I just send them an email. And I say, hey, I noticed that you struggled to fully participate in the Nearpod today. I just wanted to check in and see if everything's okay. Are you having, if, let me know if there's any tech issues or if there's any way that I can support yeah. you. And I have gotten really, really good feedback from that. So I have gotten emails from students being like, oh yeah, like this was going on. My internet sucked, like I couldn't. And so then we can troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. Or even the students that, um, maybe didn't respond to that email, but the next lesson, they definitely get, like participated more because they felt seen and they realized <laughs> they're not invisible in my class. Yeah. And we know that like, Hey, I noticed that you only, um, you only participated in about 40% of the Nearpod today. Like what's going on? I have only had to, and I've been doing this since school started. I have only had to email the same students three times Mm. of all of my classes. So multiple emails about not being fully engaged. Yeah. Only three repeat emails. That's awesome. And that's great data. That's amazing. Right. And it's, so I just, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's not a, it's not I don't know. I would prefer to be in person. I think it's better for the mental health if we could do it safely, but I don't like, I'm going to take a lot of what I'm learning now. I'm going to be using Nearpod in my classes in person. Mm -hmm. We will be Mm -hmm. having our laptops open and I'm going to have students working through a Nearpod with me while I am in person with them because the data that I have is invaluable. It's like gold to me of Mm -hmm. where my students are at in their learning and understanding and engagement. Well, and that's just uh, something that's what you were just saying really has driven home, was driven home with me in the last, like, I don't know, last few weeks thinking about what it is we've always thought engagement was, right? You know, we expect it in a certain way. Um, Obviously, we always have issues with over-reliance on behavioral engagement rather than like cognitive or relational or in other ways, right? But even more so, I think about the markers for that, right? Like you said, how do we capitalize on really doing all these like, again, teacher nerdery, like check for understandings. Like, how do I know what a kid knows, right? How am I checking on them regularly and making sure that they're seen and heard? And I mean, anybody who I think who cares about equity issues and cares about voices of students and their perspective should 
care about it now and does, I think, right. But also like, how do we use these tools that we have now? And as much as it sucks um, in, in so many ways, I think it's also making us reflect on what have we cared about in the past and maybe we, we, we shouldn't care about. Right. And in this space, we got to just let it go. Right. And so a lot of teachers, I think, especially in, in the schools where, you know, students cameras are off and you have less feedback, like you said, it is like a seance calling on somebody. Mm-hmm. Not all of our schools are like that. Like, I think I'm very lucky to um, have a different kind of norm and expectation uh, at our like with our school community. So it's a little bit different. But um, just that piece of like, how do I make sure that their voice is heard? Right. And it's not just calling on them in a rotated way. You know, cold calling can do that and help with that. But other ways that they can be engaged. So. You know, I use the I've used the chat feature the last few weeks. I did a workshop recently on how to use a chat feature better for warm-ups, for exit slips, mm-hmm. for middle of the lesson checkpoints, for banter, for but like, you know, focus banter or whatever, like for prompts. Like, I mean, there's just so much stuff you can do. And it, it really has me thinking about, you know, how do I have multiple entry points for kids, but also make sure that they're following along, engaged, like talking, discussing. And I think it just ha- it, we have to acknowledge it it's not going to look how it looked in person and that's okay and that's fine and it sucks in some ways but in other ways there's really cool stuff that you can do there's really Um, really cool stuff right like it's just I don't I've been trying really hard and listen the last two days so the Thursday Friday of this last week I had horrible days. My tech wasn't working. There was so many complications and troubles and my lessons just because the tech wasn't working kind of didn't feel the way that it had before. Yeah. And it was really, really hard. It was really frustrating, but I'm trying really hard to not have like a deficit mindset. And I'm trying really hard to be able to say, see, okay, so what can this look like? What can I get from this virtual learning, what can I do now that I can't do in person? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's thinking yes, about yeah. that. And I will say by far, my students are getting more check-ins on their understanding than they mm-hmm. ever have in mm-hmm. with me. They are having opportunities. So I, every couple slides in Nearpod, I'll put in like a sorting activity or a matching yeah. activity of like, okay, so we just learned about this. So now do this activity and see where your understanding is at. Right. Oh, we just did this. I can put in quizzes, like three question quizzes. Yeah. I can put in. So it's it's opportunities. And it was a norm that every single one of my classes, when we were creating our norms for the year, a norm for me that they wanted as a teacher is what a successful teacher looks like is giving opportunities for checking in on understanding. Right. So mm-hmm. making sure that I am seeing where students are at and allowing them time to know where they're at in their understanding of things that we're just learning. And so it feels really fantastic to be able to build that in, in a way that I never have before. And it's really, that's really good. I think that in that way, students feel more heard and seen, hopefully Mm -hmm. in my class. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that there are ways that this cannot, this can be I hate saying it because it just like, it sounds so, um, what you're not supposed to say as a teacher, <laughs> but I Go think ahead. some ways where virtual learning is better. Than- yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to tell you, put the cell phone aside, but if your camera's off anyway, I don't see that you are, or you're not on your cell phone. I measure, did you answer my question? Yeah. Did you do the thing? Are you showing up? And so, 
you know what, like that stress of having to enforce that rule, it's kind of like out the window, right? Like yeah. um, there's a joke running around here about like all the ninth grade teachers being like, ninth graders are online, are amazing. They can't touch each other. They can't <laughs> pencils at each other. They can't do squat. They're just sitting on their camera like, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I just, the behavioral, like taking the behavioral like because y'all they're teenagers and when they're in person they're all together they feed off of each other in good ways and in bad ways right like the behavioral issues and there's not like the posturing that you have to deal with and right is that there's significantly less of that and yes I've had to deal with a couple of that and the other really really successful thing that I have found is that I can see a student doing something that maybe isn't optimal right? Either (laughs) or in the near pod. And I shoot them an email and I say, Hey, I don't want to call you out in front of the entire class, but I just want to let you know that that behavior is not acceptable in my classroom. Every 100% of those emails I have received responses of like, Oh my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, totally. Right. And whereas in person, person, there's no way to do that as anonymous or like as um, individually, right? Like you're yeah. always going to have students overhearing those simple corrections and those redirections. Yeah. And there is power in being able to do that one-on-one virtually where yeah. a student won't feel, won't have to have this cognitive struggle of like, do I posture, right? My ego feels attacked. Um, and they can just receive the information. They can just yeah. receive it and not have to worry about the pressure of their peers and how they look and what they look like. And yeah, like that's fully removed. And there's a lot of power in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, I'm also thinking about like some of the moves that have worked, which I just copied from my real life classroom um, in person where it's like, I see three people writing to the prompt. I, I want to thank that, that half of the room for doing whatever. Like I still do that at remote. I like when kids answer the prompt in the chat, I'll be like, thank you, uh, Maria for your answer. Awesome. Ooh, Justin, that was good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'll do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So back to your point about like seeing heard and then they're like, Oh crap, I need to answer in the chat. You know, and I like yeah. builds that even if like their answer is actually terrible. Right. I mean, or not terrible, but you know what I mean? Um, oh, totally. <laughs> all those things, right. So, it's so interesting how you can, you yeah. can capitalize that. And I, in a way I really, think when particularly in the U.S. right you're looking at classrooms 150 kids you're trying your darndest to personalize differentiate connect but there's just not enough time for all of that in a given day and at the time of online remote schooling really does look different yeah, um, I agree I think I don't know, it's so interesting what you were saying reminded me of this um um, guy on TikTok, this teacher on TikTok. <laughs> Surprise. So I've been really diving into um, the data and research around late work and whether you should take points off of it or not, what is missing work, what is not missing work, how long do you accept it? Also in terms of retakes and scoring. And I've just, I find it really fascinating and I've had such a really strong opinion one way about about it. And now I find myself kind of changing my opinion Hmm. based off of the research that I'm getting because normalize being able to change your opinion as you get new information. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you mean growth, you mean like you like learn something. So I've just been doing a lot of research. I've been trying to get a lot of information and there's this guy, he, he, um, 
he's a teacher, but he has his master's degree in um, like data collection. And he was saying that, so taking points off or penalizing students for missing work, actually just research wise, there is no research that supports that that improves students completing homework on time. But what he has found is really, really effective is just showing a line graph to students of the percentage of students that have turned in work for each assignment. Mm. And so when you show them the percentage that it tends to increase the number of students that are turning mm. in work on time. That's and that what you were saying reminds me of that, of like, you can see the percentage of students and number of students that have done a task that you're asking them to do. And so you're like, okay, so, and I do this too, right? Where it's like, I, I throw gifts into the chat and have them react yeah. to it because I can count. I'm like, all oh, right, so there's 23 of us in the chat in this class meeting. Only 15 of you have reacted, letting me know that you're ready. And once I say that, all of a sudden I see like more students reacting or I say, okay, so 40% of you have turned in this prompt in the near yeah. palm and you see more and more students, right? And so it's like, I don't know what the psychology is behind it. I really don't. But there is some psychology behind students being able to see the percentage of, or the level of engagement, wanting to be a part of mm -hmm. the success of it. Yeah. Well, we want to be part of the crowd, you know, yeah. like, you know, we left out of the crowd, even if you didn't know what the crowd was doing, you're like, click the thumbs, click the thumbs, <laughs> yeah. I'm part of the crowd. <laughs> I don't know what I'm agreeing to. <laughs> yeah, I'm at this point, like, I mean, it's early in the year, and I will say part of this is I, my numbers are smaller than like what you guys have in your classes. And so the capacity I have to look at assignment and be like, I'm not grading this because you didn't finish it. Return, finish it. Here are the three things I need to finish. And, or like, cause we use Google classroom. I just tag the mess out of kids. You didn't answer here. Didn't answer here. Didn't answer here. I just at them. Right. And so their emails like blowing up, but like kids are like, Oh my God, I did it. And like, they're doing it. Right. Oh. And so I actually find that's way more powerful than being like, you have a developing because you didn't finish this thing. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to one of my classes this last week because I was like, y'all, there was a lot of you that only half finished this thing we did in class. I said, help me understand. I use the word half-assed too. They were like, <gasps> I was like, help me understand. I don't understand why so many of you did half-assed work here. You know, they're all like just mortified. I was like, because I mean, my question is, did you not understand it? You know, so I was like, <laughs> I started going through. I was like, I, I think this is both you and I, right? Mm -hmm. I, I thought you guys were following along. Was like that, was I going too fast? And they just kind of were staring, right? I'm like, is it me? Like, if it's me, I need you guys to tell me it's me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, or didn't you understand? Are you scared to answer it? Like, are you confused? Did you not, right? So I listed like seven different things. And I was like, I'm gonna tell you what, like, just go and go back during office hours today, finish it and turn it back in, mm -hmm. right? So I was getting, like, as soon as that finished lunchtime, boom, 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 like all the kids. And I had one girl stay back. She was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't finish this thing. I was like, it's okay. I mean, obviously you're someone who always does stuff. And I, and I thought that's why I thought it was weird. <laughs> like, that's why I thought it was me. But again, like being that's just really humble great piece, right? that's just a great teacher move. <laughs> I'm like, does it really matter that we ask them to do it again? And they do it again? like, is it the learnings there? But again, like, right. What's your, I guess part of it is, the other side is like, what's your teacher capacity, right? When you have 150 kids, you're trying to manage that kind of thing is, is difficult to do, right? And you can't do it in a timely, quote unquote, timely way. And what is timely anymore anyway, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what is timely? Oh so there's a lot of limitations. So I don't want to just pretend like 
it's fine. Right. You know, because my num like, because it's different in terms of yeah, how many kids I need to yeah. push out feedback to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there any other big things you feel like you want to bring up for the crowd before we shift to our final segment real quick? Um, I think, so when you said, you said the word half-ass, it made me think about, okay, so now I've been thinking a lot about how I'm like, I'm in people's homes and parents are potentially hearing me, right? And just like thinking about that, which that could be a whole. I was like, what parent said half-ass, heard me say half-ass just now. Um, um, so I just have been thinking about that of like, have Mm. to change your instruction based off of like the fact that parents might be hearing you or have you changed what you're talking about, but that's a really interesting layer that I think we could really unpack of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess briefly, like we do need to think about the world we're in where we are in other people's spaces. Right. And so what does that mean for the way we talk? I mean, we always should have been talking with kindness and compassion and love and all those things to the students we have mm-hmm. um, that whole Lisa Delpit, other people's children, some of those things come to mind, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of thinking about the way that we engage with our students, um, that aside, yeah, we are in their homes. And so like, how do you, you better be bringing your A game, I think, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they need to know that what is happening with their kids is meaningful. And that way, when you email or you call and you say, hey, I'm not seeing so-and-so or this is a pattern that I'm noticing, like you're, I think, I think we need to reimagine what those parent connections and relationships look like in a virtual space, right? Like, are we capitalizing on the fact that they might overhear? Are we capitalizing on the fact that a parent that's at home has an expertise in an area that maybe we could bring into the classroom, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff that you could plug in. I don't know. We just have, maybe we just have to kind of think about it. I think, um, I think it's really interesting, like whole other conversation. how we're reimagining what that looks like and sounds like yeah yeah all right real pain and champagne champagne for my real friends real pain for my sham friends okay okay lead it lead us megan and i will just ditto you my my toast my my champagne goes to all of the teachers out there that have been showing up the best that they can with literally all odds against them and they are just doing the damn thing. Like they are just doing it and they're doing the best that they can. Like I just, uh, the biggest toast ever to, to all y'all. Yeah. There's so many people um, that are posting their resources. They're sharing the stuff that they're coming up with. That's just like crazy creative and crazy, like time consuming and so much work and and sharing it for free, not teachers, pay teachers, like the people that are getting creative, like you're talking about gift check-ins. I know a number of teachers that are building in that social, emotional learning for kids to help them feel heard, feel seen, engaging in content. I mean, a lot of people I know um, back home are using like music in the classroom and new and creative ways to help engage students, hold them in. I mean, there's just so much creativity that's happening um, in the midst of all of the all the the dumpster fire. So shout out to all of you who are continuing to do that. Um, you deserve every penny that you're earning and just ignore the haters. Um, best thing. So also, I just want to say really quickly, one of the best things that I have added to my classroom, I now start every class with a would you rather poll and then allow them to defend, <laughs> to defend it. And I got that from um, Brian Baker on Twitter. He was like mentioning how he's just getting more and more crazy with the would you rathers. Y'all, it is such a funny, fantastic way to start class that I am going to do every single day. So I love it. It was, yeah. Teachers are getting creative and steal, steal from teachers. It's yeah. 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 
Uh, real pain. Oh, real. I mean, can I just say 2020 in general, like the, the, <laughs> the like horrible real pain of 2020 that just won't stop just in general. It's just, it just won't quit. And then, but really also the governor of Texas for the just like horrible and egregious um, block on Texans right to vote. It is disgusting and I can't believe that it is happening. And it's just like, if your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't be working so hard to stop you from being able to use it, right? If you don't know what the Texas governor has done, you need to go research it. Like you need to go look into it because it is horrific. And um, it is, I think, in my own opinion, a direct result to the ground that Biden is gaining in the state. And it's like Mm -hmm. a last ditch effort to really hinder Texans rights to vote. Mm-hmm. I also want to, I don't know if I should champagne this or real pain this because it's one of those moments where I think about all of the Congress people who have um, been anti-mask and don't believe in COVID who are now struck with COVID mm-hmm. one Mm-hmm. now COVID positive and um, to benefiting from socialized medicine in their medical care. So I don't know if I kind of want to like raise a champagne, like karma, but then also like boo you because boo you're like, you. you're benefiting on the places that ever you cut for other normal people. Um, and we were recording just off of the news of um, Trump and Melania catching COVID, catching COVID, I don't know what is it, catching, I don't, um, and all of the results that, like, on the hourly basis, we get, like, new results coming out, it's almost like a bingo, like, hey, number, I saw, like, I saw one of the tweets, um, there was actually a couple, my favorite one was, it looks like, after Trump got it, it looks like RBG just won her first, (laughs) her first argument with God, um, won her first court case with God, uh I just yeah I think that that was really funny and now I can't remember what the second one was but it's just oh and then somebody saying I I in fact did have Trump getting COVID on my bingo card (laughs) oh snap uh uh final segment yes do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. So okay. mine is really simple. Y'all go outside and get away from screens. Like, I want you to give yourself a brain break. You'll like it. I promise. Just find time to go outside and not look at any virtual or any tech. Yep. I'm going to say put some time in for yourself. Um, you don't need to look at a text. Don't need to do any of that. Go enjoy some outside. Like, we were able to go to a nearby city, spend a little pool time, I read a physical book, you know, just like, just do some things and you're going to feel a bit guilty, but just ignore that guilt, shove it down and know that this is ultimate big picture self-care. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening to the show and we will see you again soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Did you know channel two, five, three is member supported. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel two, five, three.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Half of the class was like, what are you talking about? You don't like it. And then the other half of the class is, man, pumpkin spice is trash. It's just white women that like it. And so then that was the conversation. Interchangeable. White ladies. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.